Hello and welcome everyone. I am Chris Hyams, CEO of Indeed. Welcome to the next installment of Here to Help. This is our look at how Indeed has been navigating the global impact of COVID-19. Today is August 3rd. We're on day 153 of Global Work From Home. And this month we're gonna do something a little different than in past episodes. For those of you that know Indeed, you know that our mission is to help people get jobs. And this is what gets us out of bed in the morning. It's what keeps us up at night. In addition to our mission, we have five core values. And these are the ideas that guide us on that mission. They represent what we believe and they help us make challenging decisions about our products and about our business. August is values month here at Indeed. And so for the next five episodes, we're going to explore each of our core values. Our first core value is that we put job seekers first. This is a foundational idea at Indeed, and it truly underpins everything that we do in our business. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Dave Yates, Indeed's Director of UX Research for our Job Seeker organization. And we're going to talk about putting job seekers first. Welcome, Dave, and thanks for joining me. Yeah, happy to be here. Great. Well, let's start off the way that we always start off here, which is tell us a little bit about how are you doing today? What's going on in the Yates household? Um, that we're doing all right. Um, you know, I, I think everybody that's living through this pandemic has faced, you know, personal challenges, but I think that we're trying to remind ourselves about reasons to be grateful. Um, my wife and I are both employed working from home. She actually runs a workforce development practice for a consulting. So our, our sort of family business is helping people get jobs and, uh, you know, we're we're pretty cozy here in our house with our three teenage daughters. Our oldest is 19 and we have 15 year old twins and um, just trying to be deliberate about connecting with friends and family, you know, and just making sure that even though we can't see each other in person, we just trying to stay connected. Great. Well, thanks for thanks for sharing that. Um, let's start off with talking a little bit about the world of, of UX user experience. How did you find yourself uh, being drawn to and dedicating your career to user experience? I think like a lot of people, uh, my, my story starts with the job search. <laughs> in 1997, I started a master's degree in creative writing. So I was a fiction writer. And um, at that time, realized that it was going to be difficult as a fiction writer to do things like pay my bills and, you know, afford rent and things like that. And so looking for jobs um, and, and trying to think about what I would do after I graduated with that degree. Um, if, if you're in a in a liberal arts degree like that in an English department, um, you hear a lot of times, well, you can do anything. All of your skills are transferable. And it was a little daunting you know, with with no clear direction of here's here's a career that you can jump into. Um, I began to really figure out well, how, how can I find out what, what's available to me? So, you know, looking back, it was my first research project. Um, I wrote a I wrote a creative thesis, a collection of short stories, but I also uh, wrote an academic thesis. And that was a survey of graduates from English studies programs at the University of Missouri to find out what they were doing. Uh, how did they get the jobs they were in? What kind of training did they receive as English studies students that that they highlighted to to be working in their careers that they were working now? So um, 
it's it's interesting to look back at that and to think, well, I was I was kind of, you know, I remember cracking open my first book about how to write a survey uh, at that time. So I, uh, long story short, ended up in tech, um, moved to Austin in, in 99, uh, started my career as a technical writer, went on to pursue a PhD in technical communication, focusing on user-centered design and usability, um, and really just was drawn to this idea that we can make technology better for people and easier to use. Um, and so it's uh, kind of all starts with a job search, you know, uh, a need there. That's fantastic. So um, so UX is a big universe and, and your little corner of that universe is UX research. Uh, for those people who are not familiar with UX research, explain a little bit about what that means. You know, I, I think there's a lot of different definitions. I, the way I like to think about it is that UX researchers are here to answer questions about human behavior. Um, anything that we can't uh, know from uh, just, you know, looking at the, the analytics and that sort of thing. Um, what do we want to discover about how people are using our site? Um, what do we want to discover about what people bring to our site, their mental models, their approaches, their beliefs, their values? What, how can we know them better? And um, the ultimate aim is to make the technology more in tune with, with where people are in, in their real lives. So I kind of I see UX research as a little bit of a window into, into how people think. So what are some of the things that you've learned about people in your years as a UX researcher? I guess this goes to my background a little bit, but I, I kind of think of it, a lot of stories uh, or a lot of narratives about people um, I, I think that stories are really critical to understanding people and interpreting the world around us. And, I, and I'm not talking about stories in terms of fiction, although I think I think that's interesting, too. But just, you know, the narrative of people's lives um, and and, you know, the narrative that's based on real data, real, uh, real observations um, and, you know, people understand themselves by telling stories and the data that we collect, whether it's quantitative data or qualitative data, when we put it together, I, I think it's all about telling a story, whether that's to help someone at Indeed understand where job seekers are coming from or as researchers packaging that up in a, in a way that's really consumable. So, um, you know, we, we talked a little bit when we met last week to discuss this conversation about the fact that, um, you know, in, in your job, you're typically doing observation or you're you're doing interviewing yourself. So I, I know it's uh, we got the tables turned here a little bit. <laughs> Me asking you questions. But um, how did you end up uh, getting drawn to Indeed? And, you know, what, what led you here and into this role? I, I have to give credit to to Ann Enders, who who's the director of UX for Incubator. She she and I worked together at a previous job and she, you know, stayed on me and uh kept telling me to come meet these folks at Indeed. When, when I arrived at Indeed, it was it was almost instantly compelling to me um, to arrive at a company steeped in data. You know, uh, as a researcher, it was a little bit refreshing to have, um, you know, hear people talk about whether it's product managers or designers or engineers, have people talking about hypotheses and statistical significance and A-B testing and um, you know, all of these, uh, you know, experiments, you know, all of this language about research. Um, and 
when when I came in, I was like, this is this is amazing, you know, to to be at a company where people understand the importance of research. And when I dug a little bit deeper, I, I realized that um, at least in the job seeker side, I think I think the employer teams had a, a bit of a head start in this area. But on the job seeker side, when I started, there wasn't a lot of um, dedicated you know, there was there was no one dedicated to UX research for job seekers. So I was the first researcher in that role. And it really became about collecting complementary data to to the analytics that we already had and the A-B testing infrastructure that was already in place. What is the qualitative data that we can collect? And, and I'm not talking about anecdotal data that's just, you know, random, but let's, you know, be systematic and empirical and bringing um, you know, the social sciences to bear, uh, you know, things like, you know, techniques developed in anthropology or sociology or psychology or human computer interaction, using these established techniques to systematically gather accurate data that we can merge with all of the qualitative insights, uh, the quantitative insights that were already here, merging that with the qualitative insights that we could bring. Um, that, that was really exciting to me. Um, and since that time, we've, you know, added the, the product science function. We've added quantitative UX research uh, to our toolkit, but just really been able to round out the full picture, um, you know, using all different kinds of uh, social science techniques. So one of the things that um, is core to the business and what we're here to talk about today is this idea of putting job seekers first. Can you explain a little bit about what that means in, in UX terms and, you know, when you think about what, what it is that job seekers need when they're looking for a job and how that really defines what we're doing? Having that as a core value is just so satisfying to me as a UX researcher. I, I think about our team, uh, the UX research team and job seeker, how grateful I am that we are part of the puzzle um, one piece of bringing job seekers a little closer to everyone at Indeed. Um, in terms of that idea of job seeker first, it's, you know, I, I sometimes hear about it as let's do what's best for the job seeker. And, you know, in, in, in the time that I've been here, I think it's really um, insightful for us to think about that question and realize that we may not always know what's best for the job seeker. And we may not have that information, you know, our, our hunch or our intuition may not be correct. Um, I, there's a there's a saying in UX, like a maxim, I guess, in UX that's "you are not the user" is kind of a, a key thing that we talk about in UX a lot. The the folks at Indeed are uh, really not they they don't mesh well with in terms of overlapping with who our users are. And I'll give you one one quick example in the U.S. is educational attainment. Um, you know, roughly a third of the UX workforce has at least a bachelor's degree in terms of educational attainment. And if you think about that in terms of Indeed's workforce, how many of us have at least a bachelor's degree, um, whereas, you know, two thirds of working adults in the U.S. don't. And I think about that a lot um, and try to try to gently nudge people uh, with our with our information to discourage them from thinking about Indeed as, you know, imagine a software engineer that wants to work at Amazon. That's that's kind of easy for our engineers to understand, but it's not our, our core users. Um, so I, I try to say, like, let's let's think about different users or 
you know, if a, if a designer is, you know, mocking up a, a new uh, idea for our search results page and it's all of the results show UX designer jobs, you know, I'll say maybe let's maybe let's not have that. Um, let's test something else. Because um, Indeed is really it's it's truck drivers, it's nurses, it's people working retail jobs. Um, you know, with research, we've talked to mechanics or people that sell insurance, um, teachers. So it's it's really, you know, kind of being humble about the fact that we don't know everything and um, being, you know, asking those best, those questions, um, being, testing our assumptions, uh, remaining curious about, um, about our users. You know, part of putting job seekers first means that we're obsessed with trying to understand and think about and uh, uncover what's best for them and, and do that. But to me, in, in, in this idea of putting job seekers first, the most important word is the word first. Um, so indeed, as a marketplace, we have job seekers, we have employers, and we talk about this a lot in any marketplace. You, you have to make a decision about who's the more important player. And you, you can't, there's, there's a lot of decisions that, that come down where um, there's some natural tension. This whole idea of, of core values, it's how do, we, how do we break those ties? How do we make those decisions? And so um, for us, and this was really from day one, the co-founders, Ronnie and Paul, decided that in that marketplace, that the job seeker comes first. Um, so could you talk a little bit about how, you know, how that manifests when we think about making individual decisions? That's a really interesting one. And I think that the most controversial things uh, at Indeed are, are those, those tough decisions. Um, the, the one that I think about recently in, in, in the world of job seekers is our decision to promote the use of job seekers original resumes um you know for people who who don't know um indeed had uh you know we we always allow job seekers to use their original resumes when applying for jobs but it was um de-emphasized in the experience and so what we've done now is um, and sorry just for clarity for the for people who don't know when you say de-emphasized what what did we do instead yeah, that's a that's a good point. So um, once once we had job seekers resume and it was uploaded, um, we would immediately ask job seekers to create what we called an Indeed resume and and parse all of the information out of their original file and and strip out all the formatting so that it was um, you know just a block of data that we could present in a variety of ways um, through our resume search product um, and you know through our ATS, uh, we could we could present our job seekers resumes in, in a number of ways. And we kept hearing from job seekers that they were unsure about how they were showing up to employers. They, they didn't you know, they had crafted this document with specific formatting and emphasizing by ordering things in a certain order and indeed would sort of strip all that out and, and make everyone the same. And uh what we kept hearing from job seekers is they wanted to maintain that control. They wanted to be in charge of understanding how they showed up. And, uh, you know, we, they wanted us to honor the work that they put in to, you know, crafting that that statement of, you know, this is who I am. And so we've shifted. Um, we're, we're working toward uh, allowing job seekers to save their original documents to Indeed and, and just attach those as part of an application. 
and we're seeing, you know, we're, we're following really closely. What we're looking for is uh, more people getting contacted for, um, for those interviews, more people hearing back from employers based on, you know, using this document versus something that, that we come up with. That's a, it's an interesting case because, you know, when I think back to when we made that decision, even with this core value, sometimes, you know, we, we think about things differently. And, and I remember all these conversations and the idea there was that we thought it was uh, better. And, and we did some research with employers that we thought it was going to be better for them if um, when they were looking at, uh, you know, a pile of digital resumes uh, that they were all formatted the same and that they knew that the education was always going to be in a certain spot and the experience was going to be in a certain spot. And that that would be more efficient and that um, because they were doing that, that they would be able to um, uh, basically be more likely to give a fair shake to, to all different job seekers. And and this is one of those cases, uh, you know, a huge part, I think, of, of research and relying on data is the humility of finding out when you're not right about these things. And so looking at the at the data over the last you know several months, we've seen very clearly that people bringing their own resumes actually do have better outcomes with with employers. Um, and so we might be actually inconveniencing employers a little bit with this decision, making them work a little extra hard. But if it's better for job seekers, then um, then we think that's best overall. And I think that's that's really the, the core of this idea. And there's there's thousands of examples, um, really everything about how the product uh, and the experience works today kind of comes back to that. Um, the heart of uh, this series has really been around looking at, at how we and the world around us are um, responding to um, the, the pandemic. Um, before we move into that, I wanted to talk a little bit about what your team was working on in the beginning of this year, and then we'll, we'll move on to what you all are focused on now. So um, when we started 2020, what were some of the, the biggest things that were on the, the plate of the, the Job Seeker UX team? At the beginning of the year, we were really continuing to focus on giving job seekers some insight into that post-apply experience. Um, what happens to my application once I submit it to an employer? And uh, really just understanding, you know, when you're not hearing back, what what sort of signals can we provide? Um, you know, uh, are employers looking at other applications, you know? And I, I think that's, that's, we've, We've seen some really good um, progress in that. Um, also, things like trust, um, understanding um, what contributes to job seeker trust in Indeed as as delivering you know um, clear information about <clears throat> about jobs. Um, we've also been working on old jobs is something that comes up a lot with uh, with job seekers. You know, they think you know, this job has been posted for 30 days. And so I'm not going to spend any time on that. So uh, that that's a big one. Uh, and then finally, relevance. Um, that continues to be just something that is always uh, top of mind for job seekers. Um, our search is such a big part and delivering on that first page, the most relevant jobs to them. And, and almost like, it's almost like we have to like, interpret what what people are trying to search for you know what i mean and and continue to update uh how we how we understand the input that we get from our from queries i i mean i like to i like to wrap it up all in you know as far as ux research goes it's all wrapped up in this idea of getting to know our job seekers better so that we can serve them 
and, that, and some of that goes into the structured data initiative. So we have uh, additional information about job seekers that will help us personalize the experience. Um, also feedback mechanisms, you know, so we can hear from job seekers right in, in the experience as they're experiencing it, if they have problems or they want to report something. So um, those, those are the kinds of things that we were working on at the beginning of the year. Now, we talked a lot, you've, you've mentioned a lot about U.S. job seekers. Um, Indeed operates in, in more than 60 countries around the world. Um, what, when you look at job seekers all over the world, you know, what's, what's the same and, and, and what are some of the differences and, and how, do we, how do we approach research around the world? I think it's interesting because this is really the world of work internationally is really kind of a window into these different cultures. And, you know, I, I've, I've learned so much in my time here. And a lot of it is just like almost a new language. You know, you think about in India, the idea of freshers, you know, these new recent college grads. Um, and they have, you know, a specific name that that doesn't exist in the U.S. Um, or, or I think about in Japan, this idea of the mid-career switch, you know, as professionals are much more likely to stay at a job. I think the last time I looked, the average was 16 or 17 years. And there was like one moment in their career that they they were going to switch. Um, and this idea of like that job search is being very particular to the Japanese culture. Um, I'll, I'll just give you a small example of you, you asked about differences between U.S. job seekers and, and those in other other uh, countries. Um and, and the example is the the idea of company research. So if you're if you're doing research about what it's like to work at a company and that sort of thing, we found in the U.S. that that often happens after an apply and before job seekers um, actually go to for a first interview. So um, you know, the job seekers will will submit an application. Uh, hear back and say, all right, we'd like to do a phone screen. And that's when in the U.S. people are like, oh, I guess I better know something about this company before they call me. Whereas, you know, uh, countries like Germany and Japan, it become it comes earlier in the process. It's it's a much more deliberate um, apply process. Um, but even even between those two countries in Japan, we've seen people be really interested in the age breakdown of employees and what kind of uniform am I going to be wearing for this part-time job? Do, do I want to wear, you know, that uniform? And so uh, it becomes more about, am I going to fit in culturally with, with uh, what's going on at that workplace? And in Germany, it's a, a slightly different flavor. It's, can I call the hiring manager? Um, what, what is the leadership style? And does that, is that a personality fit uh, for, for what I'm looking for? And so just seeing the cultural differences there um, and, you know, uh, at a high level, it's all company research, but then there are nuances uh, that, that need to be accounted for. So, so you and your team are, um, you're doing this research, you're doing these observations, these, these interviews, you're building these uh, models of understanding um, and, and it's great to, to understand these narratives and these stories. So what do we what do we do with that? How do we how do we make use of that to improve the experience for job seekers? I think that our primary goal is to help product teams answer questions so they can move forward, you know, and, and we really push product teams to articulate their research requests in the form of a question that they want an answer to. So that it's not like, you know, we need a survey 
uh, on you know next Thursday, can you send out a survey to a thousand people? It's like, well, what do we want to learn? And what is what is the question that we have? And so the way that we're organized is to really be embedded and uh, part of that cross-functional team with product engineering and design um, and really help the individual teams move forward. But beyond that, it's interesting because, you know, in the process of doing that, we, we aim to deliver insights that are not um, temporary, that they're more durable. But we want to do more to, to tell stories and what is the durable, um, like, you, like you said, the model or what is the mental model that people have? What is the why behind the, the behavior that we're seeing on the site? And we actually, you know, we've got, I think, upwards of, of 800 reports now in that research archive. And um, the core problems stay the same, you know, that we're that we have really identified some of these core things that are perennial issues that we are uh, actively attacking and, and seeing that over time build up into this uh, foundational knowledge that we have. I mean, we literally have thousands and thousands of stories that we deepen our understanding of job seekers and that that ultimately impacts the work that we do. Um, we're informing our experimentation. Um, it, it feeds into the ideas that we have for A-B tests and we do better work and ultimately we build better products that way. That's actually a good, uh, good segue to talk about um what's going on right now. So we have this idea of these foundational core things that, that are perennial. Indeed has been around for coming up on 16 years. So um, founded in 2004, very early on, we had a huge economic downturn in 2008. Um, but for the last decade, Indeed has been operating in essentially a, a perpetual motion machine, you know, uh, boom economy pretty much around the world. And then in March, COVID-19 hits and uh, a huge amount of the marketplace dynamics that we've operated in, which is a, a short supply of labor and, and high demand got turned upside down. So um, let's talk a little bit about first about how, how you know, you and your team adapted to that and, and what did you do when when things started to, to shift? So in, in, in some ways, having guiding principles and and clear goals in some ways nothing nothing changed and in a lot of ways things stayed the same you know we're still job seeker first we're still a team responsible for understanding job seekers needs and knowing more about them to learn how to serve them better um operationally it was it was kind of interesting to find out that we had a lot of the infrastructure in place to go fully remote as a research team um you know, we, we have tools and, and partnerships um, that really allow us to reach out across the globe uh, to job seekers anywhere because um, we don't want to just base all of our understanding on people in Seattle, San Francisco and Austin. Um, so so that was, uh, you know, there were only a few things where we, we felt like we weren't getting, uh, you know, as personal information from job seekers. Um, you know, our team now too, I, I think like a lot of teams that indeed we're, we're a little bit resource constrained. So always striving to make sure that we're working on the highest priority, most impactful work, uh, is, is a big thing that we're, we're adjusting to. 
And then, you know, honestly, thinking about the team of of researchers, we're we're talking to job seekers all the time in the middle of a crisis. And I really think about self-care for researchers right now. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of use the metaphor like put on your own mask in an emergency first before you can assist others and really encouraging researchers to make sure that they're taking time off when they need to, to decompress and sort of step away from, you know, really talking to people who are, are in crisis right now. You have been as a team continued to, to talk to job seekers. Talk a little about how the pandemic has impacted them and, and what are, what are the stories that you're hearing now? One of, one of the most jarring things that I've, that we've, we've seen is that in this downturn, entire industries have been paused. You know, if you think about hospitality and travel and, and things like that, how, you know, many people who were in those industries find themselves where it's, it's not just their position was eliminated. It was all positions across an entire industry. And, you know, we can talk to people. An example that comes to mind is a, a cruise ship entertainer that we were talking to. Um, this she, she worked at a, on, a, on a cruise ship. But when when she wasn't on those contracts um, in between, uh, you know, voyages, uh, she worked in catering um, or even like in-person office administrative work uh, to, to fill the gaps in between these these contracts on cruise ships. And so it's like not only is your primary industry completely shut out, but also a couple of your fallbacks. Um, so that is that is uh, a real challenge for for job seekers that we talk to, um, just trying to adapt to a, to a rapidly changing situation. In, in a big picture, we're we're seeing a greater percentage of of job seekers on Indeed who are unemployed. Uh, I mean, we always had unemployed uh, job seekers on our site, but um, in addition to high unemployment, we see uh, uh, fewer people moving jobs. I was just reading a report by the Bureau of Labor Statistics in the U.S. that voluntary quits are down by 40%. So people who have jobs in this time of uncertainty, uh, they don't want to be leaving um, and so many people are kind of holding fast to what they have today rather than, you know, looking to to change uh, careers or, or change jobs. Um, so this seeing this need to pivot uh, within an industry or even out of an industry, their chosen industry. Um, and, and as you said, moving from this tight labor market to to a, a global economic downturn, we're really getting kind of the job seekers point of view on what that looks like. So how, how have the conversations themselves changed during this crisis? We, we hear it no matter who we're talking to, you know, you can't, you can't talk to someone uh, without hearing about how the, the pandemic has affected them, but we're doing some deep dives as well. Um, looking at remote work, looking at unemployment, um, Valley Hansen, who works on the segmentation team, has been really leading some some fantastic research in the, in that area, and we really, like I said, we're hearing people in crisis. Um, I think about there, another story of a of a theater actor, aspiring theater actor in, in New York City, um, and him saying, 
uh, you know, he's an aspiring actor. He he works in catering or or even dog walking uh, when not when, when you know between auditions and things like that. And hearing a job seeker say, everything that I do, everything that I've ever done involves groups of people getting together, you know, whether it's a, a catering gig or a, or a theater performance. And so realizing that, uh, you know, all of your work history is now, you know, less relevant. When, when job seekers look for a job, often they're looking in their particular professional space. Um, here's, here's the work history I have. Here's like all the skills that I've developed in, with that experience or the training I've received. And so if, if you can't find a job in your chosen field, you have to kind of move, you know, one concentric circle out from that is, okay, outside of my professional space, but, but maybe still playing to my strengths, still playing to my skills and experience or my passions. And if you can't find work in that circle, it's really, we, we see people moving to this third circle which is really any job that I'm mentally and physically capable of doing. Um, you know, we get into like, what is, what is the survival job? You know, we need, we need uh, income to, to live. And, um, you know, I'm reminded of a, another story, a massage therapist we were talking to. This woman um, lives with her immune compromised daughter, um, and was, um, you know, had built up practices as a massage therapist over, you know, decades and was, you know, looking for remote customer service work. Um, this, this woman happened to be 70 years old, not not ready to retire. Um, and she talked about experiencing age discrimination for the first time in her life. Um, she's like, I, I know I did great on those interviews, but I didn't didn't get a, a call back. And she actually used the phrase. I'm I'm grasping at straws at this point, you know, and I'm 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 happy to report that, you know, we heard back from her a couple of days after we interviewed her and said, hey, I got a job and it was through Indeed. And so like th- those happy endings are, you know, what lifts us up and and what, you know, wants us to to keep working hard on, on behalf of uh, job seekers. Um, but, you know, we don't always hear back. But when we do, it's it's a it's a really nice feeling. Yeah. And just hearing those last bits there when you were mentioning self-care before, I mean, I think research has always been, especially because a lot of what we've been looking at forever is how hard it is to find a job. And so there's a huge part of, you know, I think what our researchers are trying to do, which is just get an objective truth. But that involves having a conversation that is deeply personal um, in a lot of cases, because work is such a huge part of our life. And it's also literally a lifeline for so many people. And so when it's, when it's out of grasp, um, it can be heart wrenching. And so I'd imagine that the last few months, everyone who's, who's doing that work, it's a, it's changed the job, um, in that you have to be prepared to have your heart crack open in the, in the middle of the workday and then move on to the, to the next thing after that. So, um, so I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so when we think about all of the, the work that we've done, um, to really understand what, what job seekers need today and, and to respond to what's going on right this minute, a big part of that has been, uh, just trying to figure out today, right now with everything happening, what can we do? And I think everyone all over the world is just 
holding their breath, hoping that things quote go back to normal um, or back to quote the the way they were. And and we know that that um, not everything is going to be the same. And some of the stuff, hopefully, that is temporarily um, incredibly difficult once from a health and economic perspective, um, we're into recovery, will will be improving. But uh, a crisis always exposes a handful of things that sometimes there's there's opportunities and things will change um, in a more permanent way. What are what are some of the things that you think that um, will be lasting changes uh, in terms of how job seekers look for work in the future? Looking at how things are are shaping up is I, I think this economic recovery will will take a while and really understanding how we can help job seekers shift to work outside of their chosen professional space. Um, how do we help job seekers really understand what transferable skills they have and, and how they can highlight those to, to future employers? Um, really steering them towards industries that are growing. You know, as, as we know, there, there are some, you know, bright spots in even in the, the midst of this downturn, there are bright spots, uh, different industries. And so really helping people understand how do you get from point A to point B and, and what what role can we play in helping people present themselves uh, in a positive light. And then I, I also think, you know, we, we've talked about it almost every week here at Indeed because we're living through it is remote work is here to stay. Um, you know, we have we have really shifted um, as a workforce to this grand experiment of, uh, you know, forced experiment of of like, what if what if nobody worked at an office? You know what I mean? And so now people can work from anywhere. And that really does change people's lives and, and what choices they can make. Um, but as we've done research into remote work, it's it's complicated. You know, it's uh, some some jobs are fully remote. You can live anywhere. Um, some are temporarily remote due to COVID, but you're expected to eventually return to the office. Um, some jobs are partially remote. Uh, you're you're expected to come to the office a certain number of days a week or a certain number of days a month. Um, and then I think it's also interesting that Remote jobs, these are some really desirable, high paying jobs in a lot of ways, but also have some of the highest education requirements. And so, again, helping people really understand how, what, what steps do they need to, th- to take to get into careers that they're interested in. I mean, you know, the last downturn was uh, in 08 was, uh, I think, a time when a lot of people were up-leveling their skills and and trying to to seek out additional education opportunities. So really being a part of that, um, helping people get to where they need to be. On a personal level, you you hear these job seeker stories, um, you know, all day, every day. And and as someone who who cares a lot about stories, uh, given given <laughs> your background, are, are there any stories of job seekers that have have sort of stuck with you over time? And and um, and sort of in that context, what you know, what would we want to to leave people with in terms of of uh, thinking about putting job seekers first? There are several stories that stick with me, but the one that I've been carrying around probably the longest um, back back when we were you know having people come to the the office, um, we had a job seeker come in, and he just had such a such a deep um 
moving kind of history. So he was, uh, he had a high school diploma um, and he had been working as uh, in a sandwich shop. And he, it, in his words, he got mad one day and he quit. Um, and after, after, you know, having all this experience uh, working in a sandwich shop, he, he quit and he was in a situation where he was selling some of his stuff to, to sort of make rent, um, picking up odd jobs on Craigslist to just sort of make ends meet. And the reason why he was in this sort of uh, time of uncertainty, he said, I, I don't want to do what I have been doing and I don't know what I can do next. Um, and he had all of these things, you know, he, he brought his phone with him that he uses to apply to jobs. And it was a, an older version of Android, you know, operating system with a broken screen that he couldn't afford to have fixed. And the research we, we talked to him about was about, uh, putting together a resume. And he said, I I don't know what to write in a resume. I've never, you know, maybe in high school we had to do it once, but I don't, I don't remember And he said the thing that stuck with me uh, still to this day, he said, I'm ashamed of the what I've done. I'm ashamed of my past in terms of I was, you know, making sandwiches for people for three years. And I and I'm ashamed of that. And I thought my, my instant reaction was we can help. We can help this guy. We can help with all of these things. Um. Every single, and, you know, it happened to be one individual. We usually these kinds of, of trials and barriers and um, obstacles to employment are spread out among several people. But he happened to be this one individual that had the deck stacked against him. But to realize that we can work at a company that we can help with with all of those problems, um, that is that is a a. a privilege and it's a it's kind of a a burden on us you know now it's now it's our job to to help people like that um and i you know this is one where i didn't get the end of that story i i don't know what he did next um i hope that after we talked to him that he was able to you know find that next job and possibly the job after that um but i think it's what what can we indeed do to make sure that all of these stories have a happy ending. Um, I think about that. Wow. Well, thanks so much for sharing that, Dave. And thanks for talking today. And thanks for everything that you do for job seekers all over the world. It was a pleasure having you here. Yeah. Happy to do it.